What an incredible song, it, uh, like Tree said. It kind of takes us on a journey through the gospel, and it's such an awesome, awesome uh, song to, to remind us of how good God is and how awesome he is as, uh, as we come to know him, as we come to worship him. And, and I hope that you're here with the expectation uh, to worship this morning. God's got something great for you. God's got something that he wants to speak into your heart today, and I, I hope that you're paying attention. I hope that you are uh, taking notes. I hope that you're, you're leaning in. I hope that you listen to what the Spirit says. You know, because we've been in this series uh, about the seven churches in the book of Revelation, and that's the last, that's the common thread that uh, is the last thing that is said is, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. And I hope that you're listening to what the Spirit of God says to you this morning because He really wants to speak to us. He wants to say something to us uh, as uh, Christians, as a church, as, uh, as, as Christ followers uh, in the midst of a uh, difficult time. My prayer is that you would listen to what the Spirit says to the churches. And like I said, we're at the end of this journey and the seven churches we've been looking at through the book of Revelation, the, the couple of chapters in Revelation, it's been an insightful journey. I, I hope you've been paying attention. I hope that you've, uh, you've been challenged like I have. But I also hope that you've, you, you've seen that he challenges our church. He challenged the seven churches in Asia Minor, which is modern-day Turkey, but he's also challenging our church today, Lee Heights. And, and I, I know that as we've gone through these seven churches, and we finish up today, I know that there are some things that we can identify with in those seven churches. And so today, we're looking at the church in Laodicea. And this is the most troubling of all the messages. Uh, that's why I wonder if it's, it was the last one of the seven churches he, he mentioned, because Laodicea was known as a lukewarm church. So let's take a look at what uh, the Spirit says to the churches in Revelation chapter 3, starting in verse 14, it says this, Write to the angel of the church in Laodicea, Thus says the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the originator of God's creation. I know your works, that you're neither hot nor cold. I wish that you were either hot or cold, but because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I am going to vomit you out of my mouth. That's kind of gross, isn't it? But that's what the Spirit says to the church. For you say, I am rich, I've become wealthy and need nothing, and you don't realize that you are wretched, poor, pitiful, blind, and naked. I advise you to buy from me gold refined in the fire so that you may be rich, white clothes so that you may be dressed and your shameful nakedness not be exposed, and ointment to spread on your eyes that you may see. As many as I love, I rebuke and discipline. So be zealous and repent. See, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him and he with me. To the one who conquers, I will give the right to sit with me on my throne, just as also I've conquered and sat down with my father on his throne. Let anyone who hears, who has ears to hear, listen to what the Spirit says to the churches. Let's pray together. And Father, I, I just pray right now that you would speak to our church, that you would speak to me, that you would speak through me. Lord, would you do something great in this place right here, right now, for your glory. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now listen, 
There's some things about these seven churches that as we finish up the series, I think we need to address. The first thing is this, that Jesus knows his churches. Jesus knows his church. He knows us better than we know ourselves a lot of times. Oftentimes it may frustrate us because Jesus may call us to something or Jesus may uh, say something about us that we don't even recognize in our own self because he can identify things that we can't always see. Don't you hate that about people sometimes? They, they, they see our blind spots. Well, Jesus can see our blind spots. Jesus can see the things that we can't always see about ourselves. He can identify things we can't always Identify. It reminds me of a story of an ornithology class. Y'all know what ornithology is? Yeah, nobody else did either uh, until I looked it up. Uh, the, it's the study of birds. And, and there was an ornithology class where this student in this ornithology class had gotten to the final, to the end of the semester, and he was preparing for the final. And so he'd been studying and studying. He'd been a good student. And it came to the final. He came in the, uh, into the uh, to the classroom, the professor gave him his final exam. He opened up the final exam, and all he saw on it were pictures of birds' feet and legs. And underneath it, there was a blank that said, identify the bird. And it's like, that frustrated him because he said, I know everything there is to know about birds, but I didn't realize that we're going to have to identify them just by their feet. And he got frustrated. He got angry. And the longer he sat there, he, he knew that he was going to bomb this test. So he didn't even try. In fact, he didn't even put his name on the paper. And so he just got frustrated and sat there and, and, and said, okay, I, it's, it's worthless. I'm going to just go ahead and, and get out of here. And so without putting his name on his paper, without answering a question, he went and took the test and put it on his professor's desk, slammed it down, and walked out. But the professor noticed that there wasn't a name on the paper. And he looked up and, and said, excuse me, sir, excuse me, sir, there's not a name on this paper. Who are you? And the frustrated student turned around, kicked off his shoes, pulled up his pants and said, I don't know, professor, you tell me. <laughs> we can't always tell things. We can't always identify things about ourselves. And, 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 and so sometimes it's hard to identify things about our church. But we've got to be clear, Jesus knows his church. Jesus understands his church. He knew all seven of the churches in uh, the, the, uh, the region of Asia Minor in what's modern-day Turkey. He knew all seven of those. He knows Lee Heights Baptist Church inside and out. He knows everything about us. And, and so here's my question. What would he say about our church? And why does he know? How does he know everything about us? Well, verse 14 tells us. It says, because I am the amen, I am the faithful and true witness, the originator of God's creation. That song that we sang, that was Jesus there in the very beginning. He knows everything about us because he knows everything, period. He knew what we would uh, uh, go through. He knew uh, what we would become even before we had our first church service. He knew the things that we would face. He knew the struggles and the victories we would have. He knew the church at Laodicea. Here's what we know about that church in that city. They were a wealthy church in a wealthy city. Wouldn't you like to be a wealthy church in a wealthy city? It would solve some problems sometimes. Solve some money problems, but it causes more problems than it solves a lot of times. And this is what we see in Laodicea. They were a wealthy church in a wealthy city. And Laodicea was known for three things. They were known for banking. They were a center of banking in that region. 
They were known for uh, expensive textile manufacturing. They would manufacture uh, very, very rare black wool. And so they would manufacture clothes out of that black wool, and it would be very, very expensive and very, very rare. And they were also known for their medical school, which produced uh, very much uh, a very uh, good eye salve that helped with blindness. So they were known for those three things, and the church had everything going for it. But it had become very self-sufficient. As you can imagine, in a wealthy church, in a wealthy uh, community, you look around and say, well, we've got everything that we need. We don't have need of anything. They became self-sufficient instead of God-sufficient. And they had drifted from an intimate, close relationship with Jesus to a spiritually lukewarm existence that made no difference in their city. Friends, what does Jesus see about our church? Are we making a difference in our city? See, Jesus knows his church. He knows sometimes we do things that make us hard to identify ourselves as the body of Christ. We may be just going through the motions. We may be lukewarm as Christians, lukewarm as a church, and people can't tell the difference between the lost world and us. That's what his message is to these seven churches. And even though there's a rebuke in five of the seven churches... There's also loving patience as he desires for them and for us to repent and turn back to him so that we can be renewed, so we can be revived and and we can understand and see his glory. Jesus knows his churches. But Jesus also knows our condition. He knew the condition of every church because it's his bride, it's his body. He knows the condition of Laodicea. He knew who they were and he knew why they struggled. And this was a rich church in a rich city known for banking and clothing and medical center. But one thing that they didn't have, they didn't have a water source. As wealthy as they were and as uh, powerful as they were, they didn't have a water source. So what they did was they built aqueducts. If you know what aqueducts are, it's basically a pipeline to cities that were about six miles away. Two cities, they connected to their water supply. They connected to the aqueduct went to Hierapolis, which was famous for hot springs. And if you know anything about hot springs, hot springs have uh, healing properties in them. And so they were connected to the hot springs of Hierapolis, but they were also connected to the cool spring water from Colossae, where the the Colossian church was. And so these aqueducts carried the waters for the six miles or so. And as you can imagine, when they traveled six miles, the, the hot spring water cooled off. And the cool spring refreshing water warmed up. So by the time it got to Laodicea, what was it? It was lukewarm. And that's where Jesus says uh, that that you are neither hot nor cold, but you are lukewarm. And so what Jesus is referring to, for all of its wealth, for all it had going for it, the water was awful. In fact, the the people of Laodicea became uh, used to the lukewarm water, but visitors, guests in that city, they would sometimes drink the water, not recognizing it was lukewarm, it would make them sick, and they would actually literally vomit it out of their mouths. You you heard the saying, don't drink the water. Well, this was true in Laodicea. Jesus said, I'd rather you be hot or cold, but you're neither hot nor cold. And so because you're neither hot nor cold, you make me want to puke. I mean, that's literally what he's saying. 
Sometimes we interpret it wrong uh, and say that he wants us to be all in or all out. He wants us to be on fire for Jesus. He wants to be hot for Jesus. Or he'd rather us be cold and, and, and unbelieving so that people can tell the difference. That's not the character of Christ if we know Christ. He doesn't want anyone to be cold spiritually. But what he's talking about, that's not consistent with his character. He's talking about he doesn't want anybody to be cold spiritually. He doesn't want anyone to perish because he wants everyone to come to repentance. Here's what he's saying. I wish you were hot like the hot springs of Hierapolis and you could experience the powers of healing. And I want you to be cold and experience the times of refreshing because your sins are forgiven like the the cold waters of Colossae. He wants us to be hot or cold, but they were neither. They were neither one. And that's what made Jesus say, literally, you make me want to throw up. Jesus knew their condition. He knows the condition of your heart and my heart. He knows everything about us. He knows his churches, but he knows our condition. And their water supply was lukewarm and it affected their church. It affected their city. So Jesus used an illustration that everyone would know. As he's speaking to the church in Laodicea, they knew that their, church, their, their water source was lukewarm. And so when he talked about this, they recognized it and they said, Oh, okay, that makes sense. They understood that. One of the things they didn't understand was while they were uh, in a, a city with lukewarm water and while they were in a city of, that was centered on banking and medicine and clothing, Jesus called them poor and blind and naked. You see the connection? Even though they were a center of banking, they were poor. Even though they, they had uh, uh, great uh, textile manufacturing, they were naked. And even though they had an incredible medical center, they were blind. Jesus said they were blind and poor and naked and they didn't even realize it because they'd gotten lukewarm spiritually. They thought they were self-sufficient. They thought everything that they were doing was fine. But friends, when we lose our sense of desperation, when we lose our sense of, of uh, sacrifice and surrender to Jesus and we learn to be self-sufficient, that's when we get in trouble. That's what's most sickening to the Lord is to say, Jesus, I'll call you when I need you. Everything's going pretty well right now, but I'll call you when I need you. Jesus knows our condition. We are in constant need of him. We're in constant need of his grace and his mercy and his guidance. He knows what we're dealing with even when we don't. Even when we can't identify it. Even when we don't know what's going on. He knows our church. He knows our condition he knows what kind of shape we're in, but he also knows our needs. Look at verse 18. Verse 18 says this. I advise you to buy gold from me, refined in the fire so that you may be rich, white clothes so that you may be dressed in your shameful nakedness not exposed, and ointment to spread on your eyes that you may see. Because we don't realize our needs, because Laodicea didn't realize their needs, Jesus has to point them out to us. He says, I want you to buy gold from me, refined in the fire, so that you may be rich. And they may have said, look around, Jesus, we're already rich. We don't have need of anything. He says, oh, you don't know. They were surrounded by riches, but they were spiritually poor. But Jesus offered them a solution and said, don't go to the banks to get gold. I have gold that is pure. 
I have gold that has been refined in the fire. In fact, that fire was the cross. I was refined in the fire when I went to the, uh, to the cross to die on the cross for your sins. And so I am pure and spotless lamb that was given for you so that you could be forgiven of your sin. Jesus wants us to exchange our spiritual poverty for his eternal riches. He wants us to come to him to exchange our gold for his gold. What we bring to the table is nothing but what he offers us in exchange for everything that we have to, to give him. He, he offers us pure gold, riches that last for eternity. And, and he says, come to me for white clothes so you can be dressed and your shame and nakedness not be exposed. Now this goes all the way back to the beginning of time. When the Garden of Eden, Adam and Eve are standing in the Garden of Eden. And they eat the apple and their eyes are open. And what happens? They realize they're naked. And what do they feel? They feel shame. And so what did they do? They hid themselves because they were naked. Jesus says, come to me for white clothes. See, our sin exposes our nakedness. Our sin exposes our shame. And a lot of times, what do we do? We try to cover up our own sin, just like Adam and Eve tried to cover up their sin with fig leaves. A lot of times, we don't even realize that we're naked. But we need somebody to throw us a towel. They need to throw us a sheet, throw us a fig leaf, anything to cover up our nakedness. And Jesus says, See, you don't have to cover up your own nakedness. You don't, have to, you don't have to cover it up on your own. In fact, come to me and I'll have white clothes for you even after Labor Day. Right? We can be clothed in white, which means his righteousness. He said, come to, come for me, come to me for ointment to put on your eyes so that we can see. A lot of times we think we can see, but we really don't. We don't see what Jesus wants us to see. See, anytime Jesus healed a blind person in the Gospels, how did they respond? They were jumping and leaping and praising God and, and sharing what had happened with everyone around. He wants us to see so we can see His glory. We want, he wants us to see so we can see His purpose for our lives. He wants us to see so we can see His power displayed in our lives and through our church. See, he's calling the church at Laodicea to make an exchange. Gold, clothing, ointment. Come, exchange all the things that you, that you have for what I have because what I have is living water. You don't have to drink that lukewarm stuff anymore. Trade it for him and he's there living water and we don't have to settle for that. What have you been depending on in your life? Church, what have you been depending on? Have you been depending on your own riches? Have you been depending on your own efforts? Have you been depending on your own self? Jesus wants us to realize that our own self-sufficiency, we have nothing. But he wants to make an exchange with you this morning. He wants to make an exchange, and, and so we can exchange our poverty, our blindness, our nakedness for his gold, his clothing. His healing. And that's eternal. And it's fantastic. And he calls us to do this. And that's why he rebukes and disciplines his church. Because he says, listen, don't run away. Don't be self-sufficient. Uh, he, who he loves, he, he rebukes and he disciplines. 
But too often we, we choose self-sufficiency and he's calling us to repent today. That's why he says it, verse 20, he says, I stand at the door and knock. Now this, sometimes, this is sometimes referred to in evangelism. Because we say, well, Jesus is at the, at the door of your heart. And if you, he's knocking on the door and he wants you to let him into your heart so that he can save you. Friends, I want to remind you that we can use that in an evangelistic context sometimes. But remember who he's talking to. He's talking to the church. He's talking to the called out believers. And he's saying, hey, I'm, I'm at the door and I'm knocking. Here's why he's at the door knocking. Because we have shut him out. And he wants to come back in. He wants to lead our lives. He wants to give us gold. He wants to give us healing. He wants to clothe us in his righteousness. He's calling us to repent and open the door and admit our desperation for him. And he'll restore the intimate relationship that we're lacking. Friends, I want to ask you a question. Are you living in Laodicea? Are you living in Laodicea? Is the fire that once burned bright in your heart for Jesus, is it grown dim? Are we lukewarm? Now the reason, like I said before, the reason that they were lukewarm, the reason the water source was lukewarm was because it was six miles away from the source. And so what do we do to to make sure that we're not lukewarm? Well, the, the way that we can make sure that we're not lukewarm is we can stay close to the source. We can come close to the water source. The closer you are to the source, the greater the opportunity for healing waters of of the hot springs of Hierapolis and the cold spring water of Colossae to refresh you. The closer we are to the source, the better off we are. So I want to encourage you. I want to encourage our church to come close to the source of living water. So what does it mean to come close to the source? Well, it means come close to the heart of God. See, when we come close to the heart of God, we experience immeasurable riches. The immeasurable riches of Christ. Look in Colossians chapter 2. Colossians chapter 2, verses 1 through 3 says this, For I want you to know how greatly I am struggling for you, Paul says, for those in Laodicea. And for all who have not seen me in person, I want their hearts to be encouraged and joined together in love so that they may have all the riches of complete understanding and have knowledge of God's mystery in Christ. In him are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Listen, he's writing to the Colossian church where? Where Laodicea got their cool spring water from. He says, I want their hearts, I want the Laodiceans to be encouraged. I want them to be joined together, unified in love, so that they can have all the riches of complete understanding. Paul is saying to the Colossian church about the Laodicean church, he wants them to be rich in the blessings of Jesus Christ, in complete understanding. And that can only happen when we stay close to the heart of God. In him are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. He said we need to stay close to the heart of God, but we also need to stay close to the Word of God. When we keep the Word of God close, when we meditate on it, when we memorize it, it's like a salve that you apply it, and when when you apply something, it makes it all better. You know, Mama's in here. uh, When when our kids uh, fall down and they get a scrape, 
what happens? Well, they start crying and they run to you and they've got a boo-boo and, uh, and they need you to make it better. And so what do you do? You go to the medicine cabinet and you pull out a tube of Neosporin, don't you? Back in the old days, I said this in the, uh, uh, in the early service, uh, people that are younger than me, you understand Neosporin is what everybody uses now. But before, some of you who are older, you, you know what we used? Mercurochrome. Y'all remember Mercurochrome? Yeah, that didn't help at all. In fact, they've outlawed it because of all the mercury that's in it. They would put that stuff on us and we would scream because it made our, made our knees orange. It was awful. So be thankful for, for Neosporin. So mama will come and get the Neosporin out of the medicine cabinet and she'll take it out of the tube because it's no good in the tube. It needs to be applied to the boo-boo. It's not real theological when I'm saying boo-boo, right? But you understand what I'm saying. You apply the, the Neosporin to the, to the scrape or the cut, and then what do they do? They blow on it. And then they take a Power Ranger uh, Band-Aid and, and, or, or you know whatever kind of Band-Aid you use, and they bandage it up, they kiss it, and healing begins, doesn't it? Because the salve, the ointment, has been applied. Friends, when we apply the Word of God to our lives, that's when healing begins. When the Word of God is applied generously to our life, when we obey it, it has incredible power. Here's the thing, though. Just like when, when you spray something on or, or you put something on, sometimes it burns at first. And sometimes we think, no, I don't want that. That hurts. It burns. We know sometimes when we apply God's Word, it's painful sometimes at first but it's there for healing. We need to stay close to the Word of God, but we also need to stay close to the commands of God. Again, in Colossians chapter 3, verse 12, it says this, Therefore, as God's chosen ones, holy and dear loved, put on compassion, clothe yourself with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience, bearing with one another and forgiving one another if anyone has a grievance against one another, just as the Lord has forgiven you, so also are you to forgive. Above all else, put on love. Clothe yourself with love, which is the perfect uh, bond of unity. And let the peace of Christ, which, to which you were also called in one body, rule your hearts and be thankful. We're to clothe ourselves in Christ. The things that Jesus modeled, the compassion and all those things that you, you heard me read there, do all these things and it will differentiate ourselves from the lost and dying world. Because when, when we need to show people that we are following the commands of Christ, we're not any better than them, that we are just clothed in Christ. And we have His righteousness leading and guiding us. And we won't have to walk in shame anymore. We won't have to walk in nakedness anymore because we're clothed with Christ. It's only when we stay so close to the source that we can experience this kind of, uh, of blessing. And it, we can also experience what, what we read in verse 21 and, and 22 where it says that you've been given the right to sit with me on my throne. And so what that means is we've not been given an opportunity, we've not been given a chance, but we've give, been given the right to be joint heirs with Jesus, sit with Jesus on his throne. And then it says, goes on to say, to anyone who has ears, let him what? Hear. What have you just heard? 
What has the Spirit spoken to your life through this word? What has the Spirit spoken to you over the last seven weeks? What have you heard? Maybe you haven't been close to the water source in a while. Maybe he's calling you back to the source. Maybe he's calling you to himself. Maybe you've, you know, he's calling you to deep abiding prayer. You know, that's one of the things we've talked about. Some of you came in late. Um, at the beginning of each service, we're going to begin the service. We're going to start beginning the service with a time of prayer, a time of corporate prayer. We're going to invite you to come to the altar to pray with us. We'll do that about two or three minutes before the service starts. And uh, we just want to pray because we believe that God will do something as we pray, as we ask him to inhabit the praises of his people. We want to ask him to revive us and, and refresh us and revitalize us. And friends, if we pray for that, we believe that God's going to show up and he's going to do something great in our midst. See, some of you need renewal. Some of you need revival. Just like Laodicea did. See, we've experienced some great setbacks. Some of you look around and, and you say, you know, what's going on? What's happening? I'm going through some things in my life personally. I'm going through some, some life, things in my life spiritually. I'm going through some things in our life, in our church. But I want to tell you, as difficult as things can be, I want to remind you of this. Every great awakening, every great revival begins when there's pain, when there's discouragement, when there's desperation. And the church decides to turn and seek Him. Will you join me and do that? Will you join me in, in praying for renewal and revival and revitalization? Do you long for revival and renewal and revitalization? If you do that, then we have to leave Laodicea. We can't stay there anymore. We have to get close to the source. We, we can't be self-sufficient. We have to run to the source of our riches, run to the source of our healing, run to the source of our clothing that clothes us in righteousness. And so my encouragement to you today is, what is the Lord saying to you through his word? And are you going to apply it? If you are, then you'll leave here different than when you came in.